am fantastic. D. Elliot Woods, how how are you? Man, I'm doing so good. I, if, I, if it was any better, I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable. Listen, that part. Hey, right, and guess just, hey, guess what? Right? You, you're already huh? being recorded already. We're already live. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> Listen, hey, everybody, first and foremost, welcome back to the Jameer Smith Show. We are wrapping up January, and um, it's 2023, and as we have honestly tried to get through this month, um, these last few weeks have definitely been a little tough for all of us. I wanted to make sure that we brought somebody that had a lot of light, somebody that really does bring all of us joy. And when I say joy, his spirit, his energy, uh, him being a father uh, and a writer and an actor, just an all around chameleon. Everybody, I want you to put your hands in your ears, your, your love, everything together for D. Elliot Woods. What's going on? Jameer, man, that is, wow. You you, you got me uh, with goosebumps over here, man. Thank you so, so much. Uh, I really appreciate you. I really do. I appreciate so, you. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to, you know, our conversation. I have been for a while, as a matter of fact. And, um, <laughs> you know, hopefully we can come up with some things that your, your listeners will enjoy and that'll bring light to both you and I. You know, one of the, the biggest things... Um, that I thought about, especially when we wanted to bring you on the show, is your energy and your passion. And it was interesting how we met because um, a really good friend of mine who is an actress here in L.A., she was, you know, doing her thing. And as I was kind of combing through all the other creatives in the building, I said, yo, who is this guy? This guy is selling this amazing book. He's super tall. Uh, you know, all the women were like, what's going on? Who is this dude? What's going on? What is this book he's selling? <laughs> but before we get into the book, before we get into your story. Okay. At the beginning of our show, I like to ask a really, really big question. How has your 2023 been so far? It's been, um, I feel like in many ways I'm turning a corner into a new version of me if that makes any sense at all absolutely and uh it's it's like you have to let go of what was in order to become what you're supposed to be mm-hmm. and and be comfortable with it and something about this year i don't know i don't know too much about astrology and all of that but something about this year just really really feels different mm-hmm. and i'm just embracing it man I said the same thing the other day. I was talking to some friends and I was just like, the energy from this year, and again, to your point, I don't know a lot about astrology, but I read a lot and I think a lot about just energy. And I said, the energy, the moments, everything about 2023 feels different. I don't know how different it really feels, but I'm I'm very interested and curious to find out. But we're really interested and curious to talk to you. So... Our interview is not going to be really an interview. It's really going to be more of a conversation. And what I love about our show, our show is for the everyday creative to tell their stories. And you are just that. If you guys don't know who I'm talking to, first of all, as I've said in the in the past, from the celebrities and the artists that we've had on the show, you're living under a rock. Writer, producer, 
<laughs> writer, producer, uh, born in Indianapolis. Shout out to Indy. Uh, listen, yes. you have done a lot of work. You have been a part of so many important projects, TV and movie. You, you credit from HBO Ballers to NCIS, NCIS, I'm sorry, L.A., to um, Hot in Cleveland and Criminal Minds and and Friends and Dot, Dot, et cetera. So, and it's like, I get so flustered because I'm just like, yo, this man has been everywhere. But the most important job, I have to say, I want to start with you as a father. Oh, wow. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, the, the, my, my, my three gremlins, I love them to death. Um, you know, you think you understand what love is and, you know, in terms of relationships and all of that, but man, unconditional love, I, I'm not sure about romance, but I know in terms of when you have a kid and they first look at you with those just trusting eyes, like I know whoever this guy is, that he's got me, Mm -hmm. I, I would literally run through a brick wall for any of them. 50 times a day if I needed to. I, I I can't express how much love I have for them and how they actually taught me to love. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I talk a lot to my dad almost every day, of course, and he says the same thing. Like, I mean, me, as old as I am, and I'm not old, but as old as I am, you know, my dad, <laughs> my dad is very much like, you know, whatever you need. I'm always here yeah, and I want you to know that um, this is going to be a different interview for you because I know these are some questions that you probably never even answered, but I want to start with you growing up in Indianapolis. What okay. do you remember about the house that you lived in as a kid? Uh, let's see. Wow. Uh, well, for the neighborhood that we were in, it was, Literally, there were only three different types of houses. They're they're all one story, and it's either door, I'm sorry, it's either living room window, door, window, 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 or, 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 uh, you know, it was one of those, uh, I think they call it, they're called shotgun houses. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can just, you just go right down the hallway and you can get to all the rooms. Um, And, you know, it was small, but comfortable. And it was just me and my mom. Um, and I had the, the room that I, everybody called the dungeon because, you know, being the, the weirdo kid, I had to paint the room. Well, she wouldn't let me paint it black. I painted it dark blue. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> so it looked like it was nighttime in there all the time. And, you know, you go through the phases with the posters and everything. But it was just home. I, oh, the one, the one thing that stands out in addition to the interior of the house is... My bedroom window was about a block and a half away from the center of Indianapolis on Saturday nights. There was a skating rink. And the day that somebody set it on fire, it woke me up out of a dead sleep because my room was so hot. Oh, wow. But yeah, yeah. But uh, over over near Douglas Park, for those of you from Indianapolis and that have been through there, uh, that's that's where that house is. I wanted to ask you that question first because I think sometimes we as grown-ups, we forget where we've grown up and we don't internalize it until we actually have to do as what you just said and think of those adjectives and think of those moments of, wow, 
this is actually the type of home that I lived in as a child. And you look at how your children are living now. You're like, "Ooh, if you could only imagine how I grew up. So as you were a child, though, what was one of the hardest things you went through as a child and how did you overcome it? Um, never fitting in and always trying to be accepted. Um, I was literally, uh, younger than just about everybody else in my classes. Um, shorter, skinnier, the thickest glasses in the world. And man, well, I'm sure you know, but when you grow up around a a lot of other black folks, (laughs) if there's anything that folks consider to be wrong with you, they will let you know on a daily basis. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) how how I overcame it was um, I had a really, you know, quick wit and kind of a smart mouth. And uh, I, I took it for like, I don't know, a couple of years. And then one day I just kind of flipped it and kind of you know, bagged on somebody else and everybody started laughing and it got to the point where when we would go to lunch, where whatever table I was at was the table where the action was because people would sit down, look at me, you know, talk about my glasses or whatever. And then I'd give them the once over and give them the business and everybody was just dying laughing. So <laughs> I was actually able to then go from between different groups, even though I didn't belong to any, uh, because I wasn't athletic yet, but I was around the athletes that were cool, the cool kids, the nerds, and I was just kind of able to flow through after that. And so I, you said it at the beginning, I think there's something about allowing your light to shine and, you know, people are cool with that mm-hmm. if, if it's truly you. Yeah. I'm a fan always of authenticity and making sure that you live your life in truth and with intention Um, and talk about intention. Let's talk about your love for basketball. Okay. Um, You had an amazing promising career in, 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 in basketball. What did you love about the sport or do, what do you love about the sport? Well, st- still love watching it. Um, in fact, my son's, uh, he's a sophomore on the varsity team for his, his high school. And at least until yesterday, they were ranked number 24 in the country. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. But um, as far as me, it was um, just what you did in Indiana. And it was just something that I always wanted to do. I didn't, I wasn't exposed to much of the world. So I didn't know what other options were out there. You know, acting and all that stuff didn't come until later. And it was just uh, something that I aspired towards. I I literally used to sleep with my ball. That's how bad I had it. Wow. And I got cut every year in high school until my senior year of high school. I finally made the team. And um, one, I was relieved. (laughs) <laughs> but uh didn't get to play much until towards the end of the year. And, you know, I was scared all the time, you know, out with the referees and the crowds and everything else. And there was one game when something happened in the middle of the game that brought me into the moment. And, man, I balled out after that mm. in that one game. And uh I ended up getting a couple of scholarship offers and, you know, all of that stuff. But it it... it it was like, finally, it finally happened. And it just felt magical. So I always enjoyed that. 
until later um, when I ran into Alfre Woodard in college. She uh, forced me to be in a, in a, in a play. And um, I hated everything about the rehearsals, everything. I hated everything about it and until opening night. And when I walked out on that stage, and it was a comedy, when I walked out on that stage and we started, you know, the performance, it literally felt like home. And I was like, oh, wow, the only other place I've ever felt this is on basketball court. Mm-hmm. So that's what opened up the door and got me started. Well, and I think about your career and you, you really do have a career for the books, for people to honestly look at and say, wow, he had this passion and another passion. And he really, really understood the assignment. And whenever you started acting, what was your first acting experience? My, well, the, the very first one was that, that play that I was telling you about, mm-hmm. but I got encouraged, uh, thankfully, by both she, uh, Alfred Woodard and by Bill Duke, both mm-hmm. of whom were visiting professors at the college I was at. Okay. To that they both encouraged me and you know kind of took me to the side and said, "Dude, you might want to you know consider doing this professionally." And coming from Indiana, which is the meat and potatoes, and everybody works at the plant, and you know, and that's not a bad thing. But I honestly had never considered a career in the arts. And honestly, I was scared. So I actually took a corporate job um, for, I think it was six or seven years. And, you know, kind of worked my way up in the organization and all that kind of stuff. But in the back of my mind, I was always wondering, well, what would happen if you, you know, went and pursued the acting? And it was one of those star-crossed moments when they had layoffs and they were offering executives a buyout and... Uh, a couple of my bosses were idiots, and I thought, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Human Resources one day, and, you know, I asked, well, how much would the buyout be? And long story short, within a few weeks, man, I had paid off all my bills, uh, drove out to Los Angeles, stayed with a girlfriend, and I had something like $240 cash after mm. everything was paid off. And I came out here and was like, okay, now what? But the, the other thing I did want to tell you is that when I was a, a kid, um, well, my, my, one of my uncles was in the Army with Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. And so when I was a small kid and I would uh, be visiting him, um, if the babysitter flaked out, I ended up always being with Mr. Freeman. And he would watch me. And so, you know, years later, I start looking up on the movie screen and I see somebody that I knew. And it's like... <laughs> Oh wow! I, this, I didn't. I didn't know that was even an option. That's Mr. Freeman. Yeah. And, and so he just kind of planted a seed. But again, as I said, I was hesitant to take it because, or really risk anything because you know you're raised to get go out, get your education, and then come back and get a good job and all of that. But it was like, yeah, but. That other is possible. I know it is because I know somebody that's doing it. Yeah. So all of those things kind of came together, and that's what brought me out here. You know what's what's interesting is that I've had a lot of actors on the show, you know, uh, directors and writers and, and, and just people that are really big into their craft. And when I told my mom, actually, that I was going to interview you, she was like, wait. 
I feel like I've seen this man somewhere, right? And of course, mm-hmm. myself and my team, as we get all of our information together, you've had some amazing roles, and some have been her favorite roles. From Star Trek Enterprise, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, amongst so many others. When you think about your career, what has been the most challenging role you've ever played? Mm. Wow, wow, wow. I think difficult in terms of, I I think my first really big opportunity uh, was uh, doing Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And literally, I started that the day after I finished a week on Friends. So going from one uh, environment at the time, Friends was probably the number one show in the country. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a, a spot there, uh, you know, to work for a week and, you know, be a guest star on the show and all of that stuff. And I had already booked the Star Trek thing. But uh, there was a uh, the difference in the environments, uh, the, the pressure of being on Friends and a live studio audience, and then going from that to playing an alien where I had to get to work at 2 o'clock in the morning mm. to get my makeup on. So four hours of makeup. So I had to get there at 2 a.m. to be ready for a 6 a.m. call and then to learn to talk with prosthetics. Mm-hmm. And and move with all of that stuff. And, you know, you don't want to be over the top, but you have to move your face in order to communicate emotion, you know, for the camera. And to learn to do that, uh, you know, and, and not have a break in between, that was probably the hardest. But that was also probably the, the one of the nicest groups of people I've ever worked with. You know, I got a little emotional for a second at the beginning of the year because I said, now, wait a minute. Now, I know this man did not just get shot. And he was on Instagram. <laughs> he went down. <laughs> and I said, now, wait a minute. Not only did he get shot, why is he the flyest man I have seen in these streets with a whole tie on, smiling at a low-key, smiling at a camera? But that was <laughs> that was your most recent role. And, I mean, that was on yeah. CBS. And... It's literally, guys, if you guys follow his Instagram, which is absolutely bananas, he literally shot an episode of SWAT. And I don't know if you guys watch SWAT. My mom, my dad loves it. Absolutely amazing. When you think of your roles, right, mm-hmm. what's been your favorite role to play and why? Ooh. Favorite one? Yeah. Um, I think... Probably there was a, uh, a Lifetime movie where I think I was, I don't know what the billing was, but that was one of the leads in, in the movie. And that was one of the first times that I was able to actually be a lead. You know, when you're a, a guest star on a show or a co-star, and you've only got a couple of lines, uh, you may or may not make the final cut um, and or what you have to say is so... Um, it's not, it's, usually it's, you're just providing information to the audience. Mm-hmm. But when you're one of the leads, you actually get to, you know, let your hair down some and, you know, move around, get comfortable. And so I'd say probably the, the most difficult was probably that one. And it was, uh, what was the name of that movie? It's uh, Stalked, 
stalked by a reality star. It mm. ended up being, I think, one of the top uh, movies for Lifetime that year. Um, but the difficulty was, you know, honestly, it was it was a confidence thing because it's like, okay, well, you have you've been working towards this. Mm-hmm. You have the floor, sir. What are you going <laughs> to do? What you going to do with it? And right. yeah, exactly. So it, it wasn't so much the difficulty of the role, but you know, you come out here with the hope and the dream of you know you know being you know one of the mainstays and all of that kind of stuff and you can actually get tricked into thinking small yeah because man i I, i've done probably a hundred commercials um i you know i work quite a bit on tv and you know get some film stuff every now and then and now that's cool but when you have to carry a project, mm-hmm. like if it fails, it fails because that actor sucked. <laughs> then <laughs> you don't want to be that guy. Um, so th- that was probably the biggest adjustment to actually accept, you know, a leading role in something and and be, you know, pretty good at it. Well, and it's, when you talk about being really good, because actually I was going to ask you another question, um, but I'm going to save that one to last because I really want to get deep on that. Um, I really okay. want to talk about really your directorial moments, because, I mean, you have done some phenomenal moments. And with Life and Lemons, how was the process? Oh, <laughs> how was the? No, thank you. That's 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 really cool of you. Absolutely. No, listen. How was that process? And and really, what did you learn from that process? That was, you know, it's funny. I'm hearing myself talk, and I'm realizing that I think I've referred to confidence and self belief in different ways, but I think I've referred to it probably four times so far. Mm-hmm. That was what happened. Is literally at the beginning of the uh, COVID um, quarantine you know, Hollywood was shut down completely. And a friend of mine called me one day and said, uh, oh, hey, uh, uh, what's his name? Roger Corman has got some contest for this, that, and the other. And um, they want you to shoot a short film. Um, and, you know, it could help get your directorial career started, you know, uh, and you'd be really good at it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I hung <laughs> up the phone and I started thinking, well, wow, if I was going to do that, you know, how would I do it? And I literally, I think the news was playing in the background and I went to my back patio and I looked out and I've got a lemon tree in my backyard and I was looking at the tree wondering, well, what, what could I possibly write about? And I was just watching and a lemon fell off the tree. Wow. Now I try to pay attention to metaphors and the stuff that happens around me. And, and immediately I thought, Oh, wow. When life gives you lemons, you know, you make lemonade. Okay, all right. Well, so that that was the premise. And then I thought, well, here we are with COVID. And I literally came up with the concept standing right there. And so I thought, well, I can't do anything with a two-minute uh, uh, phone video. Right. But what if I called some of my friends? And I did, since everybody was available. Uh, I, got, I had a friend, a buddy of mine that was a cameraman. Uh, somebody else who did lighting, you know, so on and so forth. And we actually, with COVID going on, we did a, uh, I guess it's about a 20-minute short film that we filmed at my house, but using COVID protocols that had not been uh, developed yet. 
We just did everything possible to be safe right. around one another. And for people watching it, you don't notice it at first, but at no point is any actor in front of directly in front of another actor. So there's always six mm. feet of distance or somebody's got a mask on. And we actually did a murder mystery slash with a with a edge of horror in it. And it came out it came out pretty well and you know, we got some attention, got some rewards. So that was uh that was my first experience. Well, I think it came out amazing because I mean, not one. I'm not gonna watch it because it's super scary. I would listen, y'all. You see, you see a lemon. You see a lemon with blood on it. I was like, wait, what? Not doing this. What's happening? Yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> totally made me nervous. But no, I, I was I was super excited because I think you know to your point, a lot of people that have been on the show have said the exact same story as you, right? Like during the pandemic, as Hollywood was shut down. New York was mm-hmm. shut down. I was in Atlanta at the time. Atlanta was somewhat shut down. And you think about just how many people went into like creative mode like immediately, right? And yeah. seeing you really direct that project and just be the creative behind it, I have to honestly salute you. I want to get into some questions. We have two questions that uh, people wrote in and they, they heard that you were going to be a part of the show. There were about 12 questions and I wanted to pick some of the top two um, because, you know, we're about to wrap. But I really wanted you to see uh, this first question comes from Mike and he is out of Texas and he writes, how do you mentally and emotionally prepare for a movie or a show? Mm, Go ahead, Mike. Get with the good questions and we'll get to it. Let's see here. In terms of preparation, I have to be honest, uh, I have studied different types of acting. And for me, it it works different with everybody. But for me, I take aspects of things. um, For example, I've got some friends that are completely method actors. And for me, method makes sense for some things, but some other things, like for example, if my character gets shot and I die, I just lay down on the floor and and, and don't breathe. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've got some (laughs) friends that go through a whole process of, you know, feeling the cold coming into their bodies and all of that. Mm. Uh, That doesn't work for me. So uh, for dramas, it requires some mental preparation and thought. But my spirit is kind of naturally not quite. Well, yeah, free and, and, and kind of silly because I like having fun and, and joking. So comedy comes easier. So for comedy, really, I just try to relax. And But drama, I actually have to think about and put work into the characters and the back history and all of that kind of stuff nice. to make it feel real mm-hmm. for everybody. But I do know that no matter what you're doing, if you feel like you were telling the truth, then that's the goal because yeah. then people aren't looking at you and, and they won't be able to see the, the strings moving while the puppet moves. You know what I mean? Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, our next question comes from Christina and she's out of North Carolina. Shout out to North Carolina. Do you believe art imitates life or vice versa and why? Mm. Listen, shout out, shout out, shout out to my listeners, by the way, they listen, they, they know how to hit it. Go ahead. <laughs> Oh, hey, well, first off, Christina, thanks for writing in. Shoot. Uh, and a shout out to her. 
But as far as um, which one leads the other, I think it's, um, what would you call it, the yin-yang thing, Mm -hmm. where, you know, sometimes if there's a piece, like I remember when the first time I saw Roots and I saw the effect that it had in Indianapolis, oh, my God, okay, that started a whole conversation and people were afraid to go to school, you know, all of that kind of stuff was going on. And then sometimes, you know, things catastrophic happen in life that, you know, you want to further explore through the arts. So um, which one do I think is usually it? I think it's usually life influences art. Mm -hmm. But I think that sometimes we get so busy with our lives and the intricacies and the relatives and the crazy uncle and all of that, <laughs> that you, you end up missing a lot of what's happening literally right around you. Yeah. But then you go to the theater and somebody holds up a mirror and you're like, Oh my God, mm. I've been standing here the whole time and I missed it. I love that. I want to talk about the moment that I saw you. Let's, let's discuss rise of the unicorn. Uh, now, okay. now, mind you, I think this man, before I get into this, I think he is in love with suspense and thrillers. And I told y'all about his last film, The Killing and all of this other stuff. But we're not going to talk about all of that. <laughs> it's on YouTube, too, by the way. It is on YouTube. It, it is yeah. on YouTube. But Rise of the Unicorn is a thought-provoking, emotional suspense thriller that entertains and captivates while carrying a message that cuts across every class of society. Let's discuss the book really quick. Talk to me about why did you want to even publish and write this book? Well, um, we talked a lot about, you know, things that have happened in life and without going into a whole lot of detail, and my background is not any worse than anybody else's because we all go through stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I find that either things that, first off, I really believe the things that happen to you happen for you, even though you may not think so at the time. And so those things can either break you or they will reveal to you how strong you really are. Um. I will say that as a child, I had to face several different types of monsters. Mm. And again, my belief is that when you deal with monsters and you are defenseless or voiceless, you do one of two things. You either become one or you become the complete opposite. And I remember making the conscious decision to never be like the people that were abusive to me. So I have, I've chosen uh, to have a light-hearted spirit and everything else, but obviously there is a dark side. Yeah. And so, but you know what's funny to me? I, I didn't realize it uh, until probably maybe six months ago. Literally, I've, I'm on my acting resume, I've done 50% comedy and 50% drama. I say that because, wow. you know, so I've got all these different types of stories mm-hmm. and and TV pilots and or movies, and I'm literally 50%, you know, of, of each. So going back to uh, Unicorn, um, one of the things that 
was very difficult um, is when you're dealing, I, I'm a product of a you know divorced family, so on and so forth. And uh, the games that go on between uh, parents uh, can sometimes negatively impact the, ch- the child or the children. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where this story uh, emanated from. It's, um, it's a combination of, I, I floated the script around to a couple of different studios and a consistent critique that would come back is that it's very much like Inside Man. It, it, it was, really that's bothered. exactly what I thought about, absolutely. Yeah, well, at first that really bothered me because I'm thinking, this, this is nothing like Inside Man. I mean, but, listen, Gus, uh, Gus, yeah. Gus was serious, but go ahead. Yeah, but well, but the thing is, I I didn't realize it, but a buddy of mine pointed it out to me. He's like, "Dude, they're giving you a compliment." Yeah, and I'm like how? <laughs> well, it's like, well, one Spike Lee and Denzel Washington, and they're putting you in that category. And I'm like, oh, oh, and the humility <laughs> music began to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, I took something that had bothered me for a long time and I started doing some research and I realized that, uh, or I discovered that 60% of all children born are born to single moms. And then we all know that over 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Mm-hmm. And so that literally, if, if, if it's not 100% of the children, at some point, uh, either you or somebody in your immediate circle is going to be impacted by what is habitually known as a bitter custody dispute. And that is what's up underneath this, even though it plays like it's about a bank robbery. Right. And so um, I guess that's, that's kind of where it came from. And I hope I didn't give away too much. You didn't. That's why I was. I look, I was. I was about to stop you. I'm like, stop talking so much. Wait, wait, wait. You giving away too, too much. But no, no. You, I think you, you, you just grazed the surface. No, no, no. You're good. Yeah, yeah. No, I just, just skimmed it. But, um, but yeah. But I just thought that this would be um, the bank robbery is a great metaphor mm-hmm. uh, for something that's far more valuable. So um, I'm looking forward to. Uh, getting getting towards the movie. That's that's the next thing. That piece. Listen, we're putting that energy out into the universe, and we already know it's going to happen. As we get ready to wrap our show, um, the last part of our show is something that we curated probably middle of last year, and we realized yeah. from our listeners and people. Um, that have written in and and people that you know even look at my Instagram and things like that they they DM me and say thank you for this last piece of your show because it really shows the human of everyone that comes on the show and I think that's what we love about the show is that you guys are so authentic I mean mind you and and we all say the same thing no one ever gets any of these questions before we we begin the interview so for me it's a huge trust thing. They're like, yo, hopefully this guy isn't going to like throw me out in the wolves and in the middle of the street. No, it's it's a very humble show. But I like the last piece of the, sh- piece of the show because it's a therapy session. Okay. So D. Elliot Woods, what has been your highest point in life so far? Um, the highest point is easily... 
I guess it would be the birth of my first child only because she was the first. Mm-hmm. But it, it would be the birth of my children and being there, you know, being the first one other than a, a medical professional to, to hold them, it it, it, it just change, changes you. Yeah. What makes you emotional? Um... Children that are unhappy for non-childlike reasons. Mm. When you think about your life, what has been the biggest risk that you have taken? <laughs> Quitting that corporate job where I was getting some good money to drive out here. <laughs> that part. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, most definitely. And oh, by the way, in a raggedy car too. By the way, so it was. It was like, all right, you rolling the dice, brother, and it's like, so be it. Let's go. I love. I love that being so many people's story. Like, it's it's the struggle for me, but I think it's always the win at the end that is so much more valuable. Um, what is the nicest thing that you've ever done for someone? Well, it wouldn't be fair to say, because then then it's, it's putting a light on me that um, I, I have an adopted child also. Listen, and, and I appreciate you for saying that just because... A lot of people will say if I were to say the nicest thing that meant that I judged it because I wanted it to be the best thing that I have done. And I appreciate, like I said, the human that came out of you. What is your greatest life goal? My greatest. I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. That's okay. What is your greatest life goal? Uh, To. Hopefully, after I turn 102, because that's that's my goal, I'm gonna hit 102 and be crisp. But uh, crossing over to the other side and, and to hear hear the voice, somebody says, "Man, you heard us. Mm. You heard us." And it's interesting because uh, I was like, "Did have you listened to my show?" My last question is always this. Once you've sold so many books and you have been on all of the major networks from the film and, and the television series and the great work that you've done, you've really set some beautiful footprints for your amazing children and you've done so much for your family. D. Elliot Woods, what do you want your legacy to be? I want... I mean, people, the, the world is going to say whatever the world's going to say about you. And so there's not a lot I can do other than, you know, do my best. But as far as my legacy in terms of family, I want to be the picture that hangs on the mantle over the fireplace in everybody's house. And everybody can point to that picture and goes, see that dude? He's the one that changed everything. Mm. I love that. I love that. I want to thank you for your story. I want to thank you for you being the voice and the vision of what the future looks like. But in addition to, I want to thank you just for your past. Because as you have navigated through this thing as we all are living called life, 
you've set footprints for so many people to follow. And I have to say, thank you for your story. Thank you for you just being you. And thank you for you setting up the future for future generations. Do you have any last words that you want to leave? Thank you so much. Yeah. I just want to say thank you to you and to your your crew because you have been, uh, this has been the, the easiest and yet, most probing interview I've ever done. Um, <laughs> and, and, but it's, it's very comfortable and, um, that you guys have done that kind of research and everything else. I just really appreciate it. And I'm honored to be on your show. So hopefully, uh, you guys will have me back someplace down the road. Listen, we're excited to see all of your films turn into whatever it's supposed to birth into. And I want you to know that your support will always be with us. We will always be here for you. And I want everyone, all of our listeners, all of the 82,000 people that follow us on social and all of the amazing people that have been a part of your life. I want you to make sure that you guys support D. Elliot Woods on Instagram. That is all together at D-E-L-L-I-O-T-W-O-O-D-S. And again, that is at Instagram. And I want you to make sure that you go to YouTube and you check out that scary ass story that he directed. No <laughs> <laughs> life and limits, man. Uh, yeah, man. Check it out uh, and and leave some comments. I, I'm curious to see what your audience will think. And I think I believe you should check it out in the daytime. In the daytime. I was gonna say I need all the lights on. I need I need windows open. <laughs> Look, if y'all even see the trailer, listen. Let me tell y'all. And I didn't even tell him I already watched it already, but I'm going to keep it moving. If y'all even see the trailer, the trailer alone is scary. So I'm just going to put that out there. But also, make sure you guys go and purchase the book. I mean, the book itself, I mean, you, you really put a lot of love and and, and and energy into this book. So I really want to thank you for that. Um, any last words for any of your listeners, any new listeners that will be following you and supporting you on the television and movie screens? Any last words? Um, yes. One thing, and I try to live by it as well, when folks try to extinguish or bury your light, your job is to shine brighter. I love it. So F them and do your thing. (laughs) And listen, guys, listen, it's always great to have those words of wisdom. And as we always even say at the end of our show, stay positive, but stay creative until next time. Thank you guys for tuning in and we love you.